You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A misconfigured Amazon Web Services database exposes a risk screening database, and it seems the exposure itself was an instance of third-party risk. Farewell to CoinHive, long a favorite of crypto miners everywhere. Intel pulls back from a 5G project with a Chinese partner. A quick look at Bronze Union and what the threat actor's up to. Facebook will soon help you clear your data. And if you have a lawful intercept tool you no longer need, please don't sell it on eBay. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 28, 2019. A misconfigured AWS database has induced another data exposure. Security researcher Bob Diachenko discovered the Dow Jones Risk Screening Database residing on a publicly accessible Elasticsearch cluster, TechCrunch says. The watch list contains open-source data on more than 2.4 million potentially risky individuals and business entities. The data includes personal information as well as extensive notes for each entry, detailing the reasons for its inclusion on the list. This data is used by companies to screen clients and identify illegal behavior, although TechCrunch notes that people can end up on the list based on flimsy evidence. While the data itself was compiled from public sources, the fact that a person or entity is on the list is highly confidential and could damage the reputations of some people who might not deserve it. Dychenko says the list contains, quote, the identities of government officials, politicians, and people of political influence in every country of the world, end quote. A Dow Jones spokesperson said the leak was due to an unauthorized third party's misconfiguration of an AWS server. A similar incident occurred in 2016 when a security researcher found Thomson Reuters watch list containing 2.2 million profiles in an Apache database that was configured for public access from the Internet by a third party. These incidents serve as a reminder that companies need to take responsibility for their database deployments even if they outsource some of the work. Researchers at Cisco recently took a close look at data privacy and security in their 2019 Privacy Maturity Benchmark Study. Michelle Dennity is Chief Privacy Officer at Cisco. She joins us to share their findings. Last year was really the run-up to GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation in Europe. And so we asked specifically folks, are you ready? 
do you feel like you're in compliance that such as that that is as as well as that's known? And we found that about 60% of our respondents feel good today that they are ready for GDPR. You know, it is a law and it is in force. And about 97% of them felt that GDPR did apply to them in their business. This is a global study. So countries as far flung as Japan and Hong Kong and Australia all feel that the impacts of GDPR are hitting them as well. And they're also preparing and getting ready for this. So I think that was kind of the aha number one is that even sectoral laws have global application in the digital world. I think the other big aha moments are the recognition of what I call data friction or sales slowdown is growing. So last year, we found about 65% of our companies were coming back and saying, yes, we are seeing that business is being slowed down or even stopped by questions of security and privacy. And this year, it was about 87% of respondents recognizing that questions of cybersecurity and privacy are actually slowing business. And so that's where the really interesting dig-in correlations start to begin. Now, this uh, survey is uh, is obviously, um, and I think justifiably, based around um, GDPR, um, and and there are pushes for similar type of legislation to be coming to the United States. There are folks who are pushing for a, a national data protection law rather than going state by state. When you look in your crystal ball, when you look toward the horizon, what do you see coming? Yeah, so I'm one of those folks. Um, and, and you can see it's not just me alone as the privacy person who's obviously got personal investment in that. Right. Um, Chuck Robbins, our CEO, has announced his support. I think that if I look at my crystal ball, it took 10 years for GDPR to become a law. The, the Twitter answer is, oh, let's import GDPR. And that's adorable. But when the real work is done, first of all, most of the countries in the, in the European theater are civil law countries and not common law. That, that's a distinction that has meaning. We are a common law nation. So that means we start with principles and we build out with use cases, which are our case laws, our judiciary. That doesn't mean we don't have laws. It means that each principle actually has quite a bit of impact. Essentially, a civil law country tries to cover all use cases as, as widely as possible and then figures out how that law is applied over time. Both schemas are compatible, but that doesn't mean that you can just pick up one law with all of the negotiations and hearings and cultural specificities, including data protection agencies that exist in all the member states, we have attorneys general. They're not the same as DPAs, but they act as DPAs in many significant ways. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I don't think it's gonna take the 10 years it took GDPR to be negotiated and implemented, but I do think it's gonna take some time, and the time is now to get government leaders behind not a quick fix, but a real fix. And so that's what we're really pushing for. Clear privacy by design, privacy engineered, understanding what is good, understanding how to get to a risk-based situation that is interoperable, not just with GDPR, but with what the Brazilians have passed recently, the Japanese have passed, our neighbors to the north in Canada have had Pepita for a very long time. And we, we have gone sector by sector, but we're finding the example is that that I often reach to is the pacemaker. If I have a pacemaker implanted in my body and I travel from Massachusetts to California, the IoT safety and security laws 
in one jurisdiction may not match the healthcare law and data of another. This is one person with one device, and we need to make that safe and secure, high fidelity, high integrity. That is our mission. That's Cisco's chief privacy officer, Michelle Dennity. The report is the 2019 Privacy Maturity Benchmark Study. ZDNet reports that the CoinHive crypto mining service, notorious for its widespread use in cryptojacking campaigns, will shut down in March. CoinHive was an in-browser service that let websites use their visitors' computers to mine Monero. The company said in a blog post that the project is no longer economically viable due to a recent hard fork and the gradual devaluation of Monero. A hard fork is what happens when a blockchain protocol is changed, requiring all users of the protocol to upgrade to the newest version. Monero seems to ban the use of application-specific integrated circuits, or ASICs, by implementing multiple hard forks each year. Each hard fork causes the currency's mining activity to plummet, as the ASICs that have cropped up since the last hard fork are rendered incompatible. CoinHive will cease operations on March 8th, the day before another hard fork takes place on the 9th. While CoinHive was the most popular miner for cryptojackers, crypto mining attacks will continue without it, as there are a number of CoinHive spin-offs, and attackers can always develop crypto miners on their own. Intel has ditched its 5G deal with Unisoc, China's largest mobile chip developer, due in part to worries that the partnership would complicate matters in Washington, the Nikkei Asian Review reports. The deal was announced less than a year ago at the 2018 Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. The U.S. has greatly increased its pressure on Chinese technology companies since then, citing security concerns that the equipment could be backdoored during production. Intel says the decision was mutual and that there was no political pressure from the U.S. Nikkei cites a source as saying that Intel's former CEO, Brian Kurzanich, who departed the company in July, was the main advocate for the deal. Unisoc, a subsidiary of Chinese state-owned Xinhua Unigroup, announced on Tuesday that it will design its own 5G modem chip in-house. Huawei, which has borne the brunt of Washington's criticisms, has been ridiculing the U.S.'s security concerns at this year's Mobile World Congress. Earlier today, the company pleaded not guilty to U.S. charges of trade secret theft. Canada will decide tomorrow whether to begin extradition proceedings for Huawei's CFO, Meng Wanzhou, who has been charged with fraud by the U.S. The legal and commercial wrangling will continue. There is, of course, clearly some Chinese espionage afoot, whether Huawei or any other company is implicated or not. Research from SecureWorks on a suspected Chinese threat actor known as Bronze Union, or APT27, highlights the group's flexibility and persistence. The hackers use updated versions of tools that have been publicly available for over a decade, as well as custom-made malware, to conduct espionage and theft against political, technology, manufacturing, and humanitarian organizations. Their activities include spying on dissidents and other persons of interest, as well as stealing secrets about cutting-edge weapons technologies. Facebook will finally release its Clear History feature later this year, the Telegraph notes. The tool, which was first announced last May, will allow users to delete data collected by Facebook from third-party apps and websites. Mark Zuckerberg said the tool will be similar to clearing one's browser history. 
The Verge notes that this could potentially have a significant negative impact on Facebook's revenue, which relies heavily on targeted advertising, but it would be a positive step toward transparency and granting users control over their data. Smartphone hacking devices from Celebrite are selling for cheap on eBay, according to Forbes. The tools, which are meant to be used by law enforcement, can be used to hack iPhones and Android devices. Israeli company Celebrite sells the products for $6,000 apiece, but used versions are being sold on eBay for as low as $100. While the devices themselves are dangerous in the wrong hands, a more pressing concern is that the vulnerabilities they exploit will be discovered by malicious actors. Celebrite's tools presumably take advantage of zero-day vulnerabilities to yield access to phones. Security researcher Matthew Hickey, who bought 12 of the devices earlier this month, has been trying to find out what information they contain. He says the software is encrypted, but the keys should be extractable from the device, although he hasn't had any luck so far. Hickey was also concerned to find leftover data from the previous owner, including Wi-Fi passwords, which is particularly worrying, considering that most of Celebrite's customers are government agencies, such as the FBI. Celebrite is understandably unhappy with these developments and urges customers to return their old devices to the company for proper disposal. And eBay does not count, friends, as proper disposal. Nor is Craigslist or an ad in the local penny saver, the local flea market, and so on. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Senior R&D Manager for Security at Accenture Labs. 
Malek, it's great to have you back. Uh, you wanted to share with us uh, some work that you've had your eye on, and this is uh, some folks who've been measuring the commoditization of cybercrime. Uh, what's going on here? What can you share? Yeah, this is a study conducted by researchers from Delft University. Um, they wanted to look at to what extent cybercrime has been commoditized. Hmm. We've all observed the increasing commoditization now, you know, over the last few years, particularly by looking at reports on cybercrime as a service offerings, which included DDoS attacks uh, starting at $10. But the researchers wanted to investigate whether this spanned beyond DDoS attacks, whether a cybercriminal could buy everything they wanted if they decided to perpetrate an attack. Hmm. For instance, Suppose they wanted to hit a bank with financial malware. Could they do so with off-the-shelf components? So they explored uh, which parts of cybercrime value chains were successfully commoditized and which ones were not. They also looked at what kind of revenue criminal B2B services, business-to-business services generated, and how fast they were growing. Hmm. Uh, And their study... A study covered eight online anonymous markets over six years. Uh, it included the original Silk Road uh, as well as Alpha Bay. And so what did they discover? There were some interesting findings. Um, they found that the number of vendors offering uh, these cybercrime products was growing over time. Uh, as a matter of fact, it grew by 150% uh, between 2015 and 2017. Um, They also revealed that the cybercrime was very much resilient to law enforcement takedowns, which I guess we we knew. Um, You know, you take down one of these online markets, uh, anonymous markets, it restarts under another name. Hmm. They also found that commoditization was not happening across all products. So for certain categories, you know, there was enough variety and standardization, for example, uh, in malware. Uh, But for others, such as exploits, there was a a scarcity of various exploits. There was a focus on office exploits, but not enough to cover all types of exploits. Another thing that they found was that uh, a lot of the offerings were related to cash out offerings, such as credit card numbers, mm. growing number of distribution vehicles, or, such as compromised web- websites that you can use to distribute malware. Uh, but there was not enough, again, uh, around uh, exploits and other types of uh, cybercrime offerings. Mm. So if I'm a cyber criminal uh, looking to go out there and do some bad things, but I don't necessarily have the technical skills to spin it up on my own, I might be somewhat limited in uh, what I can go out there and find. Exactly. And that's basically the major finding. So overall, their findings suggest that while there's growth in cybercrime, commoditization may be a spottier phenomenon than what we've previously assumed. Obviously, commodities or or cybercrime offerings may be available somewhere else, like in forums. But in those cases, forums actually do not necessarily offer the safeguarded structure that online anonymous markets may offer. uh, And therefore, they would require more interaction by somebody who's looking to buy something, to buy a service or an offering which means that whatever is offered there is, for the most part, a service rather than a commoditized product. 
right? Mm. So if we're not seeing traces or evidence for cybercrime commodities in these online anonymous markets, then uh, you know, we're unlikely to see evidence for them elsewhere. Uh, and this is what the study concludes is that, again, where there's some limited evidence that this market is being commoditized, it's not across the board, right? It's lowering the barrier for would-be criminals, but these would-be criminals would not be able to outsource everything they need in order to conduct a cyber attack. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it's interesting findings. Uh, Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.